0: Today on A Home That Heals, we want to share an aha moment, something
1: that hit us like a brick and shifted the way we think about parenting our children. It all relates to the topic we've been focusing on, fear, and how it affects our ability to have A Home That Heals.
0: This aha moment encouraged us, and dear friend, we hope it will encourage you today on A Home That Heals.
1: Well, hello, I am Bree, and I'm here with my mom, Dee, and we are so excited to be with you on this crisp winter. Morning. You know, it, we. I, aren't aren't you anxious for spring? I'm a little
0: anxious for spring right now. These crisp days are actually kind of cold. <laughs>
1: they are. They're a bit. They're a bit dreary, and so we are hoping that we bring some warmth to your home and your car, or wherever you're at with us. So today we're focusing in on our kids. We've been talking about fear, and we really want to hone in on how fear affects our kids. Mom, we started to have a whole new understanding of fear and trauma, basically when you were going through a course or a training, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was as you and dad were becoming therapeutic foster parents and you came home, I still remember. And I think you had my husband and I over for dinner and we started this conversation and it really was an aha moment for us. Will you tell um, tell your story, tell a little bit about how you learned more about that? Well, first, can I start by saying I wish I had known
0: it a long time ago, because even though what I learned affected and related to having foster children or adopted children, it could really relate to all kids Mm -hmm. and especially kids living today. Because I want to say, and friend, I bet you would agree, our kids are living in very fear-filled times. That doesn't mean that it has to be that way necessarily, but just because of what's going on in our world, and we covered that in a previous podcast, it is affecting our kids. And I think that's always been the case to a certain degree, probably more now than before. But when I started learning what I'm going to share, I thought, oh, wow, that explains a lot about Bree and our son. So uh, what it was was the brain. And, you know, i would always been fascinated. I think it's so interesting that we live in a time where they are discovering so much about how the brain works. And the more they discover, the more they know, though we don't know very much. <laughs> but one thing we yeah. do know is how our brains react to stress or threats. Mm-hmm. And back when I was learning about this uh, for foster parenting, it was that fight, flight, or freeze And now they've added another one, which is fawn. And I'll kind of explain that. I don't know a lot about that. But the fight, flight, or freeze reaction that kids have when they feel like they are threatened or where stress just overcomes and overwhelms them. And so it's kind of obvious. I mean, it's very descriptive. Fight, flight, or freeze. You know, if you're going to fight, you're going to confront whatever it is aggressively. You're going to yell. You're going to scream. You're going to kick. You're going to have those kinds of reactions. If you're going to have flight, then you're going to run from it. You're going to try to get away. You're going to try to escape. And if you freeze, then you just can't move. You can't talk. You can't react. You can't do anything. You're just stuck. And then this other one has been added recently called Fawn, and that's that some children will just be very compliant if they feel threatened. They won't ever really, they'll reveal what's going on inside. So once I understood that, and i understood that kids can react that way wow it changed so much and and it had an effect on you because you were trying to understand your kiddos and that's what we always do as parents all of you listening today you know once you understand why your kid does something it's a whole lot easier to be patient to figure out how to address it And just to be more of the kind of parent that you want to be. But when you're just operating out of, oh, my goodness, what on earth are they doing? (laughs) It's pretty tough. So tell me how that realization that I had for foster parenting then affected you. Because your your little guys were really little at that point.
1: They were, but they were starting to get out of the... Typical tantrum phase. So I had chalked so much up to the terrible twos, and I think a lot of us parents do that, and we just assume that. And honestly, I think it God gave that to us so that we can get through that phase and not take too much offense to it, and not, you know, we just kind of roll our eyes oh, and it's all the terrible twos, terrible yeah. twos, and and you don't feel this urgency or this concern. But they they had well passed the terrible twos and I was watching other kiddos who were doing just fine and they were growing and I would continue to say, please use your words, use your words. <laughs> and they weren't using their words. And, um, and instead we're having some of
0: these responses.
1: Yes. The fight, the flight, the freeze. Yes. And so I was reacting to their responses. I was um, not responding to their responses and I wasn't really understanding the deep um, rooted cause of those responses. I just was looking at the behavior, and I had read so many books and tried so many different techniques on how to handle, you know, the strong-willed child and uh, the difficult behaviors the that we see. Explosive child. Explosive child. And there is there's so many good things to take away from some of that. You know, they even talk about, uh, you know, some brain activity and and how it affects all of that, but it still wasn't working. It just, Mm -hmm. we weren't getting anywhere with it.
0: And maybe you should kind of rewind just a little bit. There might be some people who haven't been on our blog at A Home That Heals, or maybe they haven't
1: heard you talk about your kids. Maybe just give a little bit of background about your kiddos. So we had been introduced to this idea of trauma and um, how it can affect children even in the womb and even very young because we did grow our family through adoption and the the resources for adoptive parents are growing I know by the year I think I didn't notice as much when we went through the first adoption process with our oldest but as we kept going through that process I noticed more and more information being put out there and just really helping parents to understand and go into it realizing that even if they were um, getting their sweet newborn from the time they were a baby, that they still have endured trauma. they still have experienced trauma. So I I had been introduced to that in one way, but I hadn't really understood how that could affect their brain development, how that could affect uh, their responses and behaviors down the road as well as I would have liked. So I I think when you really started going through this, very deep training rather than just the surface training of understanding there's trauma. But then what do we do with that? That's when I started to look into it even more and it helped me so much. And we're still going through it. We're still, I, so a lot to learn, (laughs) a lot to learn. And there's still those moments. I, I, our sweet little princess is going through a phase right now where she just, (laughs) Oh, she throws herself on the ground and she screams and she's, She's it is the I mean, we have to keep ourselves from laughing sometimes because she she does this thing where she lays down and she cries. I need help. I need help. I need help. And you come over and you help her. You do everything you can, whether it's try to pick her up or grab her sweet little hands and try to pick her up. And she won't let you. (laughs) She puts her full weight down and will not let you help help her. (laughs) And I keep thinking of you're the one that, that had me watch that skit. Um By uh, Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart. Thank you. I I swear I always want to say Bob Newton. I don't know why. (laughs) Bob Newhart. The just stop it. Just stop it. Oh, if you haven't watched that lately, (laughs) so some of you young
0: moms watch listening, you won't even know what we're talking about, probably, unless your mom tells you about it. But back, I think in the 70s, the Bob Newhart show, he was like a a psychologist, and he had this lady come in for her session, and she's telling him about this fear that she has. I can't remember now. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember. I I need to watch it again. It was an irrational fear. Anyway, and so his, his advice was, well, stop it. And then she'd try to say something. Well, just stop it. Just, stop you know, it. And it goes on and on and on.
1: Mm-hmm. And that is somehow, that's how you feel yes. a lot of times, yes. especially with kids. Yes. Stop it. Or I'm trying to help you. I'm right here, baby girl. I am trying to help you off the ground as best I can. So it, it, it still is a challenge. I, I don't want to act like we aren't going through that right now. You know, I, we're right there with you. If you're listening, mama, and you're having a hard time with, these behaviors and these challenges, then we're a friend that you can come alongside and we can completely and utterly (laughs) feel for you. But today we want to bring some hope into this because while I was reading all these books and trying all these different things, what I also realized is the power of the simple things that, again, God has Ordained and God has planned for families to be healthy and to grow, and um, and to have positive childhood experiences that can kind of combat these negative traumatic events. Um, I know we've talked a lot um, about the Aces, You're right? And. If you're listening, we aren't going to dive too deep into this. Uh, we're going to share some more on the blog, but maybe if you can explain the aces, so then we can share later on in this podcast about those ways to combat right them. Well, the aces is
0: again, you know, so you kind of get into this world when you're a foster parent or an adoptive parent, but a lot. I mean, again, this this is important information for everybody because these aces are a way for you to understand the way negative experiences can affect your children. What it stands for, ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experience, and it's a negative or unnatural experience that a child has that directly alters the way God intended for their minds and their souls to develop. And, you know, it can be anything, really. I mean, it can be, you know, sometimes we've had a lot of families that have experienced death, you know, in the last year or two that was unexpected, and then, of course, because of COVID, it's had an added fear that that could have affected children that way. They have... Of, um, gosh, all kinds of things. Things that can happen in vitro from maternal depression or stress while the child was being formed. Uh, it could be divorce it can be any instability like financial instability or maybe some kind of violence that someone has experienced a house fire mm-hmm. I mean things like that that you know totally nobody's fault except except you know the terrible experience the child had with that but whatever it is it creates trauma and it can really affect kids in different ways depending on their personalities and the way God made our chemistry, uh, you know, we have these negative experiences, but we also with these positive experiences can create more positive chemistry. So I know we're getting a little technical here and forgive me for that, but I just want you to be familiar with the term because you might hear it because a, a child can have an ACE score, like how many traumatic experiences they've had. Mm-hmm. And so like in your case, Brie, you've got different ACE scores for different kiddos. Mm -hmm. And the higher the score, the more effect that it may be having on them in how they they have these different responses. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all that to say, there are are ways that we can counteract the ACEs Mm -hmm. by creating felt safety. How do we make children feel safe? How do we react in these moments? And so let's just go back to the princess, we like to call her, mm-hmm. and her her tantrums. Because, I mean, we're kind of smiling as we talk about it now, but my friend, I want to tell you that some of these are pretty, when she says, help me, help me, it sounds like a child on the edge of a cliff saying, help me, help me. She's desperately asking for help. Mm-hmm. And
1: that does something to a mommy's heart. Mm-hmm. You want to do something. Well, and it's so hard to understand if I didn't understand the trauma and how that can affect, it would be so confusing to look at this little one laying on the ground. I'm trying to help her there. She really doesn't need help. She knows how to get up on her own. She, she doesn't truly logically need my physical help to get up off the floor. She won't accept my help emotionally either to get up off the floor. And so sometimes she doesn't really need help up. She just needs me to be there. And I think a lot of times my reaction, frankly, is irritation because it's at the wrong time. I'm in a rush. I need to hurry. (laughs) Yes. And being reminded and just trying to close my eyes and take a breath and being reminded that this is a precious little one that God has made in his image. And I love her and I adore her. And she had no control over what she has experienced and the trauma that she is facing right now. But right now what she needs me to do is get on the ground and look into her precious little eyes and see her and love her and help her up by just being there. Help her up by being her mama and by loving her through what this is going through. But that's very different. When I look at it that way, I can do that. I can, God gives me the strength to do that. And when, when, um, when I take the time to be to remind myself of that, I can do that in that moment. But if I just see the behavior and I just think she's being a little stinker and being rude or trying to make me late or. I focus in on that, then I'm, I'm missing an opportunity of connection and I'm missing an opportunity to create a healthy home for her too.
0: But there's so many directions we could take this right
1: now. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things, and I, I'm like, I'm looking at
0: their, that our time, I want to have you share about, because when you're there in that moment, just being present, you told me something that I thought was so helpful and would be so helpful to a mom, a young mom in this situation. And that was something to do with the eyes. Tell, Can mm-hmm. you tell that
1: real quickly? Well, um, we're going to share a lot more in the future about TBRI. So I, I can't take complete credit for this. Um, Karen Purvis and um, the... You know, the great work that they have done through TBRI, which, again, we'll we'll share on our blog and we'll share more in the future. But go ahead and look her up if you haven't, because she's wonderful. But she talks about soft eyes and um, kind eyes, giving your children kind eyes and soft eyes. And it really is that mentality of looking at your child and realizing that they are this beautifully, wonderfully made child by our creator and that right there in that moment, they need to see our kind eyes and they need to see um, us look at them with that love and that adoration and that affection and that appreciation that they are a creation. I oftentimes when I, I don't know if you're like me mamas, but when I say, Hey, look at me, (laughs) it's to give them the stare down it is and you're to pretty give good at that I have noticed I, uh, I have nailed I, it <laughs> did I teach you that no no and I won't lie I kind of had a I kind of had this it, when I was a young mom I wanted to be good at that you know like when they talk about the mom who can just look at their kid in church and, and give them the eyes and I knew my mama you know <laughs> she was gonna do something fierce if I didn't listen and obey right then and there I, I wanted to have that you know but that's not what our kids need. That's really not what they need. And I was doing that. I was I was giving them those eyes of you better you better shape up. And what my kids really need is me to give them those eyes that say, you are wonderfully and beautifully created. You know? It's some to some people it
0: might sound like indulgence, like indulging their brattiness. I mean, and it can even look like that. To other people sometimes. But what you've taught me and what I think has impacted me the most as your mom is that you know your child. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows your child better than you, except your husband. Mm-hmm. Maybe as well or, you know, in some ways better. But you you know your child. You know inside that this child is either, you know, just being willfully disobedient and off the rails, ridiculous, or if this child has a deeper need. And you, it's hard to explain how you know that, but you had that insight to know. Can you say anything to a mom listening right now who just feels that way, but like you shared in our previous podcast, feels the pressure
1: mm-hmm. because
0: other people just think her kid is being a little
1: brat? Oh, that pressure is heavy. And I, and I feel, it i feel it fighting its way to the surface every day so it's really something that i encourage us all and i'm talking i'm preaching to myself right now to wake up in the morning and just pray that the holy spirit would give you a mm-hmm. sense of peace and strength and comfort that he has equipped you he has given you your child and he has given them to you for a purpose. And he knew all along the trauma that they would experience, um, or the hardship they would face. And he understands the root cause of their behavior. But I, I also would encourage you, I mean, just think of when, when is the last time if you're acting like a jerk, if you're acting kind of ornery and not very kind What's more powerful to you if somebody makes a snarky comment to you or somebody kind of looks at you sideways and and gives you that look like shakes their head like. Yeah. Shame disgusting. on you. Or if somebody looks at you in love and kindly directs you, but looks at you with those loving eyes, you know, there there's no indulgence in that. When when can we get enough of that? Of somebody looking at us like we are special and we are important. Mm. I think that encourages us to rise up rather than to continually feel defeated.
0: Well babe, I think we've we've probably got a so we've got pages more we could share. <laughs> but I think we probably better uh, just let you know that TBRI stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention and we will put some information on ahomedthatheals.com so that you can start researching that because there's some treasures, many treasures in that and Karen Purvis is the author of a book called The Connected Child and there are other books that are available too. But anyway, we want to we want to just pause on this but we'll we'll be coming back to this topic frequently because it is such an important one but when we come back today a reminder about something that you you had a fun reminder about Mm -hmm. something that we need more of in our lives you need it and i need it so don't go away we'll be right back
1: All right. So, Mom, we have been on a hunt for animals for our therapy farm. That's right. This is our Barefoot Bluff update, ladies Mm -hmm. and gentlemen. (laughs) It sure is. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you're kind of seeing how we're creating our own lifestyle therapy out at Barefoot Bluff. And one of those ways is we're trying to um, incorporate as many animals as possible because our husbands love it.
0: <laughs> well, they, they're they learning to love it, I have to say. But yeah. you've been really busy because you've been
1: going out and visiting horses. Yeah, we've been going and looking for a horse. We have one that we're going to be training, but we're looking for one that is already uh, ready for kiddos to be able to ride and love on and, and um, enjoy. So... We went to look at this sweet horse. Oh, my goodness. Mom. You're in love. I love her. Oh, I love her. But I, I, the story isn't about the horse. The story is about the horse women. And they there are these three women that were already out there. And then two more joined. So let's just set the scene here. Mm-hmm. You're going out to like a
0: stable or a yeah. place to see this horse and ride it.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. get to know it. And um, the owner was out there and she greeted me. But she had some of her friends with her. And I tell you what, they reminded me of how important it is to laugh. And not just, I'm not talking about the laugh. You know that laugh where your cheeks hurt and your brain hurts because it kind of was, you you were pushing it. You were, yeah, everything was kind of funny, but it wasn't that funny. And you're just, you know, trying to laugh and make everybody feel happy this was the type of laughter that comes from your soul. I mean, these women were laughing from the depths of their soul. And I have to say it was even in the midst of us talking about some hard things. Really? Yeah. We were, we were talking about some hard hardships that they were going through and, and that, and that we've gone through, but yet, interwoven in those hardship conversations was this grand laughter. And I left there feeling like I had the best therapy session (laughs) I have ever had in my life. (laughs) Wow. So did you take away anything?
0: Like, is there anything that we can learn from how that spontaneous laughter
1: developed? Or are you still kind of thinking through that, trying to figure that out? Well, I think, you know, how I am. I get home and I start researching Uh because I am just, I, I was like, you know what, we need to start Inserting some more laughter into our life. And something I found really interesting as I started to research it is, did you know healthy kids laugh about 400 times a day? What? 400 times a day. Guess how many times adults on average laugh? I have no idea. 15. Oh. 15, which I thought about. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know that I laugh a whole lot more than 15 times a day. So I'm going to try to laugh a lot more. But I... I do with my kids. That has been a technique my husband and I use when we start seeing them go down kind of a, a, a rough road, whether it's, you know, they're feeling angry or frustrated. We just try to tickle them or do something to make them laugh because that completely changes their trajectory. And I thought it was so interesting that, uh, you know, of course, they have all these surveys out and and. They have found that laughter literally alters our dopamine and serotonin levels, and completely decrease, decreases our stress-making hormones in the blood. And how cool is that? God literally made our bodies so that we can combat anxiety and stress and depression with laughter. We don't oh, yeah. need to buy anything. We don't need to, you know, go it's the, out. It's the built-in drug. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's the best medicine. Yeah. So we wanted to leave you. With that today, you know, I think it's just kind of fun to think about. Have you laughed today? Mm. Mm. No, <laughs> except maybe right now. <laughs> right now.
0: now. That's right. Have you maybe have you helped your kids laugh today? How can we be more intentional about that? This is something for you to think about as we make our way through these days trying to make our homes homes that heal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when we come back with our next episode, we're going to dive even a little more into these practical ways that we can bring more laughter into our homes, bring more joy into our homes and really give our children that feeling of felt safety. Mm -hmm. That's on our next episode, and we hope you'll be with us.
1: A Home That Heals is produced in partnership with 89.5 KTSY. To find out more about them, go to
0: ktsy.org.